Hi, I'm Liz Winstead. I'm Mojiella Wodeal. And we're the hosts of Feminist Buzzkills, the only weekly podcast that helps you navigate the post-row hellscape. We dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with our guests, the abortion providers and activists working on the ground. Plus, we have amazing comedians to help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzzkills drops Fridays wherever you get your pod fix. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off. M-S-W Media. Prevail. This is the Geneva program for political. Histoire, la sécurité nationale. Crimen organisado, dinero sucio. Global corruption. Ta brotpou za demokratiou. Et ahora, ATP. Et maintenant, comme ustedes, su anfitrion. Gregorio. Gregorio. Welcome back to the fight. This time I know our side will win. I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show. Bryn Tannehill is here. Bryn, of course, is a former naval aviator, a senior defense analyst, and an author of lots of articles and books, including American Fascism, How the GOP is Subverting Democracy, and... My Child Told Me They're Trans, What Do I Do? Those two books on the surface appear to have very little in common. Not true. Where those two topics intersect is going to drive a lot of the conversation that we have. Today, we talk about things that are a little bit gloomy. I'm going to warn you up front, it's a little gloomy, but it's necessary to understand all this stuff. The word fascism has been tossed around a lot lately, which is good. We want to paint uh, Trump and the MAGAs with that brush. But what does fascism mean exactly? What would MAGA fascism look like? Uh, That's what Bryn gets at. She's a defense analyst. She analyzes things. And she can tell us exactly what uh, the bad guys are planning to do because they've told us what they're planning to do and what that's going to look like for you, for me, for her, for everybody in this country. And it's not great, guys. It's not great at all. But it's coming if Trump wins. So I I know people listening to this probably know that already, but it really is important to drive these points home because they need to be communicated, especially to the people sitting on the sidelines who don't pay attention, who don't understand the stakes here. Because the stakes are high. These are the highest stakes we've had. And I know last time it was the highest stakes we had. And I know in 2016 it was the highest stakes we had. But believe me, this is the big one. If Trump wins this time, it's game over. That's just reality. You know, very, very important election. None of these third-party people are going to work out. They're there just to draw votes away from Biden. And if you don't vote for Biden, you know, you're voting for Trump. The way the system is set up right now, it is a binary choice between candidate A and candidate B. Nobody else has a fucking prayer of winning. You're either voting for Biden or you're voting for Trump. Those are the two options. There are no other viable options. I know people have litmus tests. They have purity tests. They would prefer the perfect candidate that they can think of. But let me tell you, there is no perfect candidate, first of all. Even the best presidents make big mistakes. Biden is one of the best presidents. Not only that, but the way the system is designed, it's baked into the system. It's a two-party system. Do I like that it's a two-party system? No. But that's what it is. 
So if you're not going to vote for Biden, you are voting for Trump. Whether you cast a vote for Robert Kennedy Jr. and his Falcon and his anti-vax bullshit or that Dean, whatever the fuck his name is, or if there's no labels, uh, chaos agents get their way and run you know, hideous Joe Manchin or, you know, you want to write in Tulsi or Marianne Williamson or whoever the fuck. Those are all votes for Trump. That's just how it is. There is no idealism here. The system is what the system is. It is a binary system. It is candidate A or candidate B. Candidate A is Biden. I get it. Biden has made some mistakes. He's not the most popular guy for some reason. He's being tarred now for all of Bibi's bullshit in uh, Gaza, which I think Biden's been trying to stop uh, as best that he can as the president of the United States. And we're seeing this now where there's a rift between these two guys. If you think Trump is going to preside over that war better and be able to rein in Bibi better, where have you been living for the last lifetime? I mean, that's just not going to happen. Sorry. Uh, Trump is a monster and he will let Bibi do whatever the fuck he wants. There will be no reins on Bibi at all under Trump. That's just how it goes. So you want to criticize Biden's handling of Gaza? Fine. I agree. Let's criticize it. But if you think that Trump is going to do a better job, you're just fucking wrong. Sorry. Um, and these are the arguments. I know people listening to this know these things. I'm saying this up front because these are arguments that we have to make, that we have to make to the voters that don't really pay attention, that still think that the Republican Party is a thing like it used to be in 1996. Oh, what are the candidates? And oh, what's going on here that only tune in like a month before the election and might not know the things that we all know and that we pay attention to? It is so, so important this time in particular to get the word out. I am not a person in my private life and in my day-to-day -day life who talks about this stuff at all to anybody unless I am asked. I don't like that. But if I'm asked, I'm going to tell you <laughs> what I think. And I'm going to do my best to sway you away from the dark side of the force. So I think that this uh, discussion with Bryn is super helpful in this regard because it's going to give you a lot of talking points about what America would look like under Trump after the last election that we'd ever get to vote in, which is also something, by the way, that would happen. You know, so how do we know this? Why are we not being hyperbolic? Because he's said so. We all know what's going to happen. They've made no mystery about what they're going to do. And Bryn gets into that. Now, this is, as I mentioned, the last Prevail episode of 2023. This has been a strange year. Um, I was writing something this week, and I had to check myself to see if it was, in fact, 2023. I feel like it never quite sunk in for me, the number. I don't know why. Uh, now we're heading into 2024. This is going to be by all you know, measures, one of the most momentous years that we've had for quite some time. The war in Ukraine rages on. I think that the Europeans are you know, starting to really wake up to the reality that if they don't help Ukraine more, Putin's going to win. They don't want that. I think that's good. That's something to monitor, obviously. The war in Gaza is awful. It's terrible. Um, Bibi has, and, and the Israeli, uh, government as currently constituted has just presided over a, uh, you know, a mass slaughter and, and destructive thing that it, it's just unspeakable how bad it is, how evil it is. 
I don't know where that's going to end, but I know that Bibi and Biden appear to be at an impasse. This is critical uh, because Biden is throwing his weight around. Bibi also very, very unpopular in Israel right now. So replacing Bibi is going to be, I think, pretty critical to achieving any measure of peace uh, between the Israelis and the Palestinians. So that's something to monitor. We've got climate change. Obviously, every year that goes by, they they tell us, oh, the clock, the climate clock is, you know, I feel like the climate clock has been like, but the alarm has been going off and we keep hitting the snooze button for a while now. So God knows what's going to happen with that. Uh, everybody has COVID now. That's another thing. You know, nobody's talking about it because we don't like to talk about infectious disease anymore so soon after a pandemic, but it's not like the numbers have gone away. It's the winter, it's the holidays, people have it, it's going around. And that's also something to monitor in the new year. AI, I find it, I just find it really boring and tedious, but it is something to monitor and keep an eye on because it is something that's going to affect all of us down the line. And, you know, and then there's the election. The US presidential election is almost certainly going to be Biden against Trump again. I've said before, the incumbency is such an advantage, but Trump is also, uh, Robert Kagan made this case in the Washington Post, also kind of an incumbent in the sense that, uh, you know, people know what he's done and stuff like that. And he still has his people lined up behind him. So the incumbency for Biden might not be quite as powerful as it would be for other candidates previously. However, we also have four years of Trump's awfulness to point to and say, hey, remember when he took all this money? Hey, remember when his daughter and his son-in-law like made hundreds of millions of dollars while working you know, under him? Uh, all of these things. You know, Remember all of the crooks that he had in his administration. Remember all of the people that died under COVID. Remember how he had COVID and pretended that he didn't. Remember how he tried to like politicize wearing masks. Remember all of these horrible, horrible people that he put on the Supreme Court because he listened to Leonard Leo, and now we're looking at, if he wins again, a national ban on abortions, which would be catastrophic for women in this country and men who love those women and women who love those women in this country. We've never really been in a situation in my lifetime where there was a right that we had that was taken away. This Dobbs decision, as far as I know, is the first time that there was a right that people had, that people exercised often, that was suddenly taken away. And I don't think that's something people are going to forget about. I know the pundits get bored with it, but the voting public doesn't forget about this. And there's going to be more and more stories all through the year of horrible things happening in these red states where women are denied access to abortion. There's going to be more stories about 13-year-olds getting impregnated by their, you know, drunk uncles. There's going to be more stories about non-viable pregnancies, uh, fetuses that they won't let abort even though the mother's going to die, like in Texas. Um, people are going to die, and we're going to hear about that too. And it's going to be awful, and it's preventable, and it's all the fault of Trump and the Republicans. So if you want more of that, that's a great thing to vote for Trump for. And his trials. I almost forgot about his trials. There's like four of them coming up in 2024. A former president of the United States 
indicted, and on trial. Not once, not twice, not thrice, four times so far. That's going to happen in 2024. So 2024, oh my God, it's going to be nuts. Uh, <laughs> I wish we could just fast forward through it on some level, except then I'd miss the next White Lotus and the second season of Severance. So we can't do that. And anyway, that's not how time works. The space-time continuum works the way that it works. Um, alas. So <laughs> happy new year. Wishing you and yours the absolute best for the year ahead. We'll be right back with Bryn Tannehill. What you're about to hear is a snippet from the Members Only 5-8 Holiday Special with me and LB recorded this Friday, December 22nd, 2023. I've, I've come up with something special, LB. Oh, okay. Uh, for you. For okay? me. And for the members, but also for you because, uh, okay. you know, I know you've been, you've been laid up, you've been sick, and I wanted to spread a little a little Christmas cheer. So, oh, yeah. Um, that's nice. So I have, I, I've written a, a, a song. Oh, and, how nice. um, yeah. And uh, I'm just going to sing it for you. Okay. I know this is going to be kind of the theme of the night here, right? <laughs> um, the song is, is uh, it's this, it's, it's the Trump days of Christmas. Uh, oh. <laughs> on the first day of Christmas, Donald Trump gave me a drunk Rudy Giuliani. <gasps> On the second day of Christmas, Donald Trump gave me two former wives and a drunk Rudy Giuliani. On the third day of Christmas, Donald Trump gave me three dumb kids, two former wives and a drunk Rudy Giuliani. On the fourth day of Christmas, Donald Trump gave me four indictments, three dumb kids, two former wives, and a drunk Rudy Giuliani. On the fifth day of Christmas, Donald Trump gave me five bankruptcies, four indictments, two dumb kids, three dumb kids, two former wives, and a drunk Rudy Giuliani. Right, we're not gonna do the whole thing. We're just gonna start. Go to the end now. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Donald Trump gave me twelve grifters grifting, eleven lawyers lying, ten hookers peeing, oh. nine orbs of fondling, eight co-conspirators co-conspiring, seven Genovese, six Putin puppets. Five bankruptcies, four indictments, three dumb kids, two former wives, and a drunk Rudy Giuliani. Yay! Thank you, Steph. Bye. Oh, that was the best Christmas gift. Bryn Tannehill, welcome back to Prevail. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's it's great to see you, and you get like extra points because it's December twenty third. You have littles, you know. Santa's going to fly in the sleigh or whatever tomorrow. So thank you, especially for taking the time today to uh, 
to come talk to me about like American fascism. <laughs> Not a problem. It's kind of doesn't go away even over the holidays, but tis the season. We'll try. We'll try to put a happier spin on it, given the <laughs> given the season somehow. <laughs> um, American fascism, of course, is the title of your book, uh, which is terrific and which people should read and buy. Not necessarily in that order. I think buy first and read. <laughs> um, so first question, because it's been a while now since I've seen you. Uh, Trump is now, he's basically open about being a Nazi. He's not even running away from it at all. Uh, there's Nazis, you know, on Twitter. Elon Musk is like, hey, Nazis, come hang out with us. It's called X now, which is basically the middle of a swastika. If you tilt it and add some, you know, things on it. Even the guy Godwin of Godwin's Law says that it's okay to, you know, to, to bring up Hitler in this sense. Um, Godwin's Law says that any internet argument will devolve into calling somebody Hitler. Or some comparing point. them to Hitler, yep. Yeah. Now, Jen Merchia was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking about her piece where uh, she says that Trump wants to be compared to Hitler and is actually cultivating this. Uh, so what do you make of all this? What's your what's your take on it? So I actually agree with Jen. Um, and there's this concept of a and it's been bopping around the, the alt right for a long time. And it's gotten more and more popular, which is the idea that America needs a red Caesar, that America needs a dictator, that the way to that both the left and right have correctly identified that the system is gridlocked between gerrymandering between the courts, between the fact that you have a somewhat blue-leaning populace, but a House and Senate that lean right due to gerrymandering and non-proportional representation, uh, and the Electoral College, and the filibuster. And even though we elect a Democratic president, we've got a court that, and we have elected Democratic presidents. Um, most of the Supreme Court was put in place by presidents who lost the um lost the popular vote, right? Nothing can get done. This last Congress only passed 22, 26 bills. That's the lowest basically ever, right? And the the Democratic response is we need more democracy. We need our government to look more like what people vote for. We need it to represent what people want. We need the court to represent the will of the people to represent and to represent America better. I mean, even uh, Kevin McCarthy said that the Republican Party looks like the world's most exclusive, you know, uh, exclusionary country club. Yep. Um, the right's response to this is we need a dictator. We need to give all power to one person who can cut through all of this and rule. Right. Uh, and what are they going to do with that? Well, they're going to hurt the people that need hurting. They're going to take 11, 12 million immigrants, put them in camps and then deport them somewhere to die, probably, you know, or just leave them in the camps. You know, they talk about eradicating transgenderism. Trump is talking about immigrants poisoning the blood of the people. Very, very Hitlerian. Right. This is yeah. this is this is very mind Kampf, Right. He says he's not a Hitler scholar, though. He's not a scholar of Hitler. That's what he you said. You know, you don't have to be a Hitler scholar to be racist xenophobic violent nasty demagogue right that's you yeah. really you don't really need to study that's you know it just kind of comes naturally to horrible people that somehow get put in positions of power um you know we, they talk about how his opponents are uh vermin and scum and marxists and communists 
who are destroying America, who want to destroy America. And the, of course, this sets up a us versus them, a if we don't destroy them, if we don't annihilate them, America will fail, right? Um, which is very, again, very fascist, which I keep coming back. American fascism, I put the pen down on that book in February 2021 and published in April. And and not much has changed. The only open questions in the book were, will we cut off fa- the, you know, fascism from coming back? Uh, we didn't. No. Uh, and will the Republican Party move on from Trump? And the answer is no, nope. they didn't. Yeah. Um, but my observation was that even if they do mo- move on from Trump, the next candidate to replace Trump is going to be probably a fascist because that's what they want. This is where the base is. So, yeah, I'm I'm very much in agreement with your previous guest that they want fascism. They want a dictator. They want somebody who's going to come in, ignore the Constitution, ignore the courts, just take out the people that need taking out. And their vision for what America should be is one that's pretty scary. Yeah. I wrote um, on my Prevail uh, substack, like, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. I've lost all track of time. I think it was a couple weeks ago. I wrote a two-parter about, you know, the what's called the Dark Enlightenment, which you alluded to. These The Red Caesar people are all part of this neo-reactionary movement that's bound in um, one of the seminal texts of this movement is the Unabomber Manifesto, uh, wherein Kaczynski talks about how uh, revolutions try to uh, change the government to something that they want, and they usually don't succeed in doing that, but they do succeed in destroying the existing you know, systems. And that to me is what that group wants when they're talking about the monarchy or whatever. What they really want is what Steve Bannon said, you know, dismantling the administrative state and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, it's just, you know, but you you alluded to at the beginning, the gridlock, you know, so what, how do we, if not a, 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 a you know, authoritarian ruler, how do we get rid of the gridlock with the systems in place the way that they are? So that's one of the things that was in American fascism is it's not particularly easy. You would have to rewrite the Constitution. And given the way the mechanisms that are used to rewrite the Constitution, uh, given how the a constitutional convention or constitutional amendments aren't don't look at proportional representation, they go by states and little tiny red states. There's lots of them. And then there's only there's a much smaller number of blue states that have giant populations because those where the urban centers are. Um, so we're not going to be able to change the constitution, right? So what is it going to take? It's going to take decades of democratic presidents to slowly get the Supreme court back to a neutral position, a more neutral one, right? You're going to need Alito, Thomas and Roberts to get, be replaced, right. To get us back to where a point where the Supreme court can start making us democratic again, we're going to need, um, to, actually prosecute people who break the law no way yeah it's not weird, if they're rich right? if they're rich no 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 this, yeah the rich are not like you and i um <laughs> they have more money <laughs> you know the we need to do things we need to have a supreme court ruling that strikes down gerrymandering or sets some kind of of limit on it we need to get rid of the filibuster 
you know, these are these are all kinds of things that we need to do. And I write about them in the in the last chapter of 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 American fascism, of what steps are necessary to break the gridlock and which ones are feasible. Ones that require a constitutional amendment aren't particularly feasible. So that's yeah, that's not a great answer, but that's and it's not one that makes everybody go raw. It's like, what do what do we do? keep voting Democrats into office until we can get a Supreme Court that doesn't, that isn't corrupt uh, and isn't a bunch of far right wingers who, you know, believe that might makes right and that corporations are people too, my friend. Right. Right. I mean, one thing we can do maybe is uh, expand the court because I think that doesn't require a constitutional amendment. That's just a law that is passed. And then they, you know, we need both sides of the house and we need popular support for it. If there was an opportunity to do that, it has passed or it's about to pass. Biden has no appetite for it. There's fears that it would sit off a tit for tat. Uh, and honestly, I do not believe based off of the map in 2024 that uh, I, I don't think Democrats are going to retain control of the Senate. Mm. It's just a bad map. It's a year when there's like 22 Democrats up for reelection and only like 11 Republicans. Right. The, there's a republic D- democrats are on defense in 2024 in the senate okay so last time you were on you you came up with a a model where you said that uh and i think you write about this in american fascism also where the u.s is going to is heading towards a breakup of, it's either going to be like yugoslavia where we just sort of fracture or it's going to be like hungary where we continue to have elections but it's illiberal democracy and it's just sort of for show and bullshit um now i think we can add a third option which is nazi germany we could also be nazi germany um this has been a very very useful i i i've gotten a lot made a lot of hay out of the yugoslavia hungary thing because i've asked pretty much lots of people who have come on the show after that what what they think but since you wrote and what that, do they think i'm very curious People have varying opinions. Some people think nothing's going to happen. It's not going to go that direction. You know, I, I think it just kind of depends. But what what is your thinking right now, heading into 2024? What do you think might happen w- with regards to that question? So that's that's a good question. And I would amend how your understanding of it a little bit. I would say that Hungary is an intermediate stop to Russia. Okay. Right? Uh, that Hungary is just just is the same as Russia, just 10 years behind in terms of the autocratic movement. Where we are right now is that Donald Trump wants to set himself up as a dictator. They have laid it out very, very clearly in Project 2025's Mandate for Leadership. I've tweeted about it. I've written about it. It, they are being more and more manifestly authoritarian with a goal of reshaping the United States in ways that would render us unrecognizable, right? In terms of foreign policy, in terms of domestic policy, in terms of making abortion and birth control and healthcare for trans people completely unavailable, illegal, uh, to make it possible for red states to reach out and grab people they don't like from blue states to prosecute them in blue states. Uh, We are looking at a government that is going to elevate one particular brand of Christianity above all others and make it uh, a singular force in both law and public policy. Um, And these are things that should be unacceptable and are going to certainly set off protests. 
But what we're also seeing is Trump is talking about invoking the Insurrection Act, clearing out military leadership and replacing it with people who are loyal or at least won't say no. Um, He's talked about using the military to shoot protesters in the past, in 2020. He's talked openly in the past about admiring how China handled Tiananmen Square, right? We're heading for something ugly and brutal. And I used to think that maybe Republicans would do it so slowly, like do go down the road to all of these things and just maybe boil the frog, right? They're not talking like they're going to boil the frog. They're going to do it. Boom. Day one. This is they're going to come in hard and heavy. They've already identified the the 50,000 people they're going to fire from the federal government, replace with uh, inexperienced lackeys, sycophants, cronies uh, and ideologues. It's and that's another thing is, is that federal government is going to cease to function in so many ways with Schedule F. Right. That that what happened if Trump is elected starting January 20th, 2025, is going to shock people. And it's going to be enough to set off protests. And Trump's response to that is, I'm invoking the Insurrection Act. We're sending out troops. And at that point, as much as Trump wants violence, as much as he's encouraged violence, uh, as primed for violence as the country is at that point, you know, the saying that the best case scenario is the military rounds up thousands and thousands and thousands of people and holds them until they can be processed. That's martial law. And that's the best case scenario, right? The worst case scenario is, you know, Tiananmen Square, right? These we're heading for, you know, and that's the point where we break. Either you get your balkanization where, where, where some states say, you know what, screw it, we're out, we're done. This is, no, we're not playing this anymore. Yeah. We, we refuse to accept this, We've, right? And, you know, in the past with competitive authoritarian regimes, individuals, individual states or provinces or municipalities have been willing to go along because it's, it's slowly but surely, right? Um, and... If you'd asked me a year ago what I thought was the more likely was was whether there would be a balkanization or there'd just be slow acceptance of, well, this is the new normal. Okay, well, this is the new normal. Well, this, this is the new normal, right? Oh, we'll get them next election, right? The way they're talking about coming in hot and heavy and making it a dictatorship from day one, I don't, I think that that, that the, that the slow descent into Hungarian style fascism is is becoming less and less likely and i think a more almost hitlerian day one boom you know by by six months into the third reich was effectively over right there was there was no more reichstag it had been cut out you know it had been cut out you had the enabling acts right you had the dissolution of other parties you had the dissolution of labor unions and we're looking at a model, right, if if Trump is telling us the truth and the number one rule of surviving autocracy written by Masha Gessen in 2016 was, you know, believe the autocrat. Yeah. We're going to get the pressure to break is going to be far more than I anticipated the last time we talked. I thought that they would try and take it slow and easy and just kind of glide into it. 
And no, it's we're talking hammer and anvil here. Yeah, it's almost I think they might want that. They might want to get it to that pressure point right away. And just for people listening who might think that you're being hyperbolic, you're not being hyperbolic because this is all stuff that they have said, that they've published, that they have people in place to go into these jobs to do. And they know now what they're doing. And the difference between 2016 and a potential second Trump term is that, um, you know, he he knows what he's doing now. He knows who to get. Anybody that's going to go work for him is just going to listen and do whatever he says. And they're not bound by the rule of law. And they have the fucking Supreme Court with them, too. You know, if there's one thing that we've that we've learned in the last uh, six months or whatever, it's, you know, the court is hideously corrupt. And here's the thing is that there's still this belief that the Supreme Court might bail us out if they get too extreme. And one, they might there. I, I could see Roberts and Gorsuch going, OK, whoa, this is this is a little, you know, no, you don't get to summarily execute journalists. No, you can't do that. But here's the thing. Here's here's the thing. One thing that I didn't talk about was Trump basically gutting, co-opting and weaponizing the FBI and the Department of Justice. You know, let's 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 create a scenario here. Right. Uh, Well, okay, two things. One, uh, the Washington Post brought up the the quote by Stalin of how many divisions does the pope have? Well, here's the thing. Donald Trump, once he's declared martial law, can easily ask. How many divisions does John Roberts have? That's what Andrew Jackson asked. That was the right. That was the thing. Like, you know, he, he said that. Let him enforce it. I think that's the that's right. The, yeah. And and Stalin asked, how many divisions does the pope have? Mm-hmm. Right. I believe it was Stalin. Uh, but you know, at, at, at the point where the military has been co-opted. Right. Uh, what's to stop Trump from saying, you know, telling Roberts, hey, you can go along. Or you can go to Leavenworth for a very short stay, and then you can have a very short stay tied to a post, and then you have very, very long stay in a little pine wood box in the ground. Or, gosh, I've the DOJ kind of does what I want it to, and the FBI does what it's. You've got kids, don't you, Mr. Roberts? It'd be a shame if FBI kicked in the door, grabbed their computers, found some stuff on their computers that wasn't supposed to be there. Gosh, you got a really important case coming up. Be a shame if you ruled the wrong way and things didn't go so well for your family. That's that's a very Trumpian way to do it, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, a very mob boss kind of mentality, which he is. He's he's kind of yeah, a he's he kind is. of a third rate. He's kind of a B grade mafia don. The way he conducts his business, and that's how he handled Zelensky, and that's how he's handled everyone else. As he said, basically. Th- hints that very, very bad things will happen to you and your family if you don't do what he says, right? And once you weaponize the military against the, the, the civilian government, you weaponize the DOJ, you weaponize the FBI, he's not going to hesitate to lean in on the courts. And if the courts still do the wrong thing, the, he's been handed a mandate by his voters to clear out, They, like I said, they want a dictatorship. They want fascism. They want their red Caesar. And if the court gets in the way of the red Caesar, you remove the court. And if the court doesn't listen to reason, they can go away. And just like Hitler used the enabling acts to clear out basically any opposition, Trump will use anything within his power, including breaking the system and corrupting the system, to move stuff through. This is an existential threat to 
democracy in America, the likes of which we haven't seen since the Civil War, even more so, perhaps. Yeah. The, this, you know, the 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 election of 1860 still went off. Yeah. OK, so this is a good this is a good chance to uh, to take a quick break. Okay, we're back with Bryn Tannehill. So let's stay with this because I feel like, you know, where you were saying before about boiling the frog and there, the Overton window has moved, uh, certainly with a lot of these things. We have things already going on now since Dobbs was, uh, the Dobbs decision, since Roe was overthrown, that uh, even a year or two ago would seem preposterous, where you have very young girls forced to, birth and you have this whole situation in texas that happened uh last month uh where you know non-viable uh embryo that's going to kill her and they still won't let her get an abortion and then if she tries to leave they're going to have a so i feel like we're already getting to that point where people are starting to not pay that much attention to this so you wrote a piece in april called u.s is barreling towards dread scott and, and this is April 2021. Oh, was that long? Oh, wow. Okay. I wrote, I wrote, I wrote, I wrote a first version of it, and then I wrote a second version of it. Okay. Uh, and the first version of it was in 2021. Yeah. I as soon as that happened and these the laws started to kick in, I could see it. Like, okay, if somebody from Texas goes to New York to get an abortion, Texas is going to send a state trooper after the person in New York. Um we ain't letting them take the person back. New York's not going to allow that. Ultimately, I don't think. Not under its current leadership. So then you have a real constitutional crisis. But talk a little bit about what you mean by the by the Dred Scott and barreling towards it. Because I saw a Fugitive Slave Act is what I saw. Yeah, so we're actually testing that right freaking now. Yeah. So the Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton, uh, essentially... Uh, gave a demanded that the University of Washington Medical Center hand over any and all patient records and any and all records, not just patient records, regarding anyone that had left Texas to receive transition-related medical care there, any minors, and anyone that might have done telehealth with them. Um, and basically, and even if in the, this demand included anyone who had left the state of Texas permanently to go to Washington. And he threatened to basically uh, anyone who refused to um, charge them with, with, with criminal charges. And these demands are being adjudicated in Texas courts by judges appointed by Abbott, right? Yeah. And this is going to set off... And Washington, one, has a law that says you can't do this, right? Um, and two, uh, it would violate patient confidentiality. But basically, Washington law says you can't do that. We cannot, one, no, there's there's nobody in our system that meets your specifications. But two, even if there was, we're not going to hand over anything to you because we're forbidden by Washington law specifically. Because Washington passed a sanctuary law that says you can't do this. Now, they chose to do this with trans kids because nobody gives a shit about trans people. Excuse my language. Uh, same way, you know, nobody really cared that it was when it was 
Jews, Roma, or the disabled that were getting getting carted off because they were unpop, unpopular groups of people. But so now you have Texas. What what happens when the Texas court says, "Oh yeah, go get them. They're they're criminals. Go get them." And Texas says, "Okay, hand them over." And Washington says they didn't commit any freaking crimes. And yeah, no, right. Well, then it goes, then it's going to go start going up to the Supreme Court, right? Or it might, you know, depending on how the courts decide, would it be adjudicated first in the Fifth Circuit or the Ninth Circuit or the D.C. Circuit? Uh, If it was in the Fifth Circuit, they would rule. And I, I could very easily see the Fifth Circuit saying, yeah, we're ruling in Texas's favor and we're ruling that it has to go into effect immediately. Hand them over or else, right? And then you're going to have to have, you know, an emergency injunction, emergency appeals to the Supreme Court. But here's the thing is right now, I don't think the Supreme Court is ready to start handing over doctors to Texas for incarceration or Washington doctors to Texas for incarceration. But what happens after Trump is president? Well, the answer is going to be, yeah, sure. Uh, I don't want I don't want me or my kids, uh, you know, at Leavenworth. Um you know, they will get the answer that they want eventually. And that right there, there is your Fugitive Slave Act. Or where it gets nuts is if Texas starts doing stuff like sending out bounty hunters or or yeah. or or something to grab these people, you know, and drag them back to Texas. And then what happens when Washington says, oh, no, and we're providing protection for these people? And you get you, you start getting into crazy situations where you have hired, you know, either Texas U.S. Marshals or Texas deputies or bounty hunters engaging in firefights with Washington state troopers, right, who are on the protection detail, right? Uh, the, this is, the scenario just explodes, right, unless we get a clear definitive ruling from SCOTUS that says, no, you can't do that. But, so we got it. yeah. You know, but this SCOTUS was built kind of to give them what they want. Uh, I think you would probably get... Um, I think you'd probably get Barrett, Kavanaugh, Alito, and Thomas to say yes. I think Gorsuch and Roberts are a no at this point. Put Trump in place, and that goes poof. Suddenly, you start having having red states requisitioning enemies of the people, right, to be pulled back for criminal prosecution in red states. And that's that's going to set up a situation where what happens when um oh let's let's say the tr- I'm not sure where they're based but let's just pretend that the Trevor project right which is about preventing suicide in LGBT youth right um Texas says hey they're putting obscene material on the web it got to some kids in Texas and LGBT content is inherently obscene we want you to hand over everybody in the Trevor project to us give them now let's go right Comstock law, give them, let's go, right? Is New York going to say, yes, we're going to give you everybody involved in the Trevor Project for you to incarcerate indefinitely? I I, know. No, I would hope not. I would hope not. But this, you know, um, I would point out that it was the South that, that after Lincoln won, freaked out, and decided that the North was definitely coming for their slaves, so they preemptively 
basically started the civil war and secession. Um, I don't think that blue states would secede even with a Trump presidency if it was just not so like the first term. But if they proceed to go the direction that these red states and and Heritage Foundation and ADF want to go and do it as fast as they want to do it, uh, and that they use the heavy-handed kinds of tactics that Trump loves, the, they're going to it's the system shock is going to be too much. There is going to be a visceral reaction, and it's going to be very very difficult for like what you tell me, right? What would the blowback in New York be if if the governor of New York said, you know what? Yeah, we're we're getting rid of abortion, birth control, trans people, uh, and we're handing over all the doctors who perform abortions in New York to Texas for prosecution, and we're doing it pretty much now. Yep, we're 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 surrendering. We're we're doing what the federal government says, and we are, you know, because the union is the most important thing here. What what would the what would the blowback be? I mean, I don't. The, I, first of all, Governor Hochul, I don't think would do that. I think that, um, you know, she there's flaws with her certainly, but one thing that she's been pretty steadfast about is is abortion rights in in the state. So I can't imagine her doing that unless you know she was put up to it by some coercion that we don't know about. Uh, yeah, the blowback would be immense. I mean, New, New York has a has an enormous uh, LGBTQ population for one thing because of New York City and and the other. Uh, urban centers and the the culture here. I mean, we, certainly we have, you know, Trumpies around and about, uh, even in my very blue part of the state. But uh, the prevailing cultural uh, thing here is not to be that way. So, if she caved, would she win the next election? No way. No. Bingo. And there you have it. Right. Yeah. Politicians are greatly motivated by winning the next election, and if. Going along with the Trump a a despotic Trump administration is going to cost them the next election. There is going to be heavy, heavy, heavy pressure to say no. But there's also going to be heavy pressure from the Trump administration. They're like, yeah, you can do that, and we're going to send, we're going to declare martial law and send the first infantry division to to sit on top of Sacramento, right? And, you know, that's that. These are the kinds of ugly, ugly scenarios, right? that that happen if if we go the direction we're going and i'm i i know i sound crazy but this this is we've seen this historically we've they've declared their intention to do this we see them lining up to do all of this we see them saying they're going to do this it's this is just taking the next step of saying okay if they do the thing that they say they're going to do what is going to be the response, right? Yeah. yeah, you're 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 mapping it out. You're doing the game. You're gaming it out and and seeing what you know what would happen. Um, and you said you know the Trump sending troops in. I would I would quote uh, Bogart in Casablanca. There are certain sections of New York, Major. You, I wouldn't recommend trying to invade. That's what I would say. Which brings me to the other really really weird question: is is if you invoke martial law. On a populace where 25 million people have assault weapons and there are 425 million firearms in the hands of private citizens in the United States, this is an experiment that has never been conducted in human history. If you look at the total arms manufacturing, I went and looked this up. During World War II, I counted 
every major make and model of firearm made by the U.S. for the military during World War II, carbines, rifles, drowning assault rifles, Thompson submachine guns, grease guns, pilot pistols, M1911s, uh, every major weapon that could be fired by a single person. We made about 16 or 17 million, depending how you how you slice it, whether or not you include 39 and 40, right? Um, there's 22 to 25 million AR-15s in circulation in the United States right now. That's more than all the weapons produced by the United States in World War II. Of oh similar of of all all the single person weapons manufactured by the United States in World War II. And the AR-15 is deadlier than most of them uh, by dint of having a high velocity round that uh, and having a, a magazine that's typically 20 to 20 to 30 rounds and being uh, semi-automatic. Um, you know, so that's that. Let, just pause for a second, because I want to I want to take that in because that's a lot. There's there's more AR uh, 15s now than there were all the weapons that we made in World War II, all the single use person weapons. That's that's astonishing. Yes. I mean, really, yes. it's kind of a mind blow, you know? And they're all in private citizen hands. Yeah. And a high percentage of those private citizens are Trumpers, but not all, I would I would dare say. Uh, sure. But even the even those people might not take kindly to martial law. You know, that's the other thing. That's a variable also. You know, to your point, like and the other question, the other question that I don't know the answer is, does the military go along with this? Are yeah. there, you know, how if if day one Trump comes in and fires three quarters of military leadership above the rank of colonel, right? What happens? You know, this this gets weird. Yeah. Now, and well, there's that whole Tuberville thing, but he lost. I think they filled a lot of the the open spots that you know. But Trump can fire them at any time he wants. Every officer of the United States military serves at the pleasure of the president. Interesting. Okay. So that's even, that's not, not even a thing. And, uh, you know, and he'll do it. He'll do, he'll do things that nobody else has done because that's, you know, that's always well, what he's done. Um, the other, the other thing I was thinking about, and I wrote about this back when it happened after the, after Dobbs is the sort of the cost of it. Like it's in order to finance this is it's the difference between the fugitive slave law and this right which is that um you know uh, enslaved people by being enslaved laborers were valuable to the people that controlled them you know they worked the land they provided labor so economically they were a boon um so if somebody went and retrieved them and brought them back Ultimately, it would pay for itself over time. I know it's horrible to talk about humans that way, but economically, that was the way that it was, right? This is not that. The 13-year-old pregnant girl uh, is not an economic uh, boon for the state of Texas, and sending state troopers out to catch her is an incredible you know, drain of resources. So you know, that's another uh, wrinkle to throw into this whole argument is the cost of it all. This is about vengeance. This is about social do dominance orientation, which I write about in American fascism. And it's one of the defining characteristics of white uh, evangelicals uh, is a belief that they should be the people in charge. They are the head and vote that they, by 
their heritage, by their religion, by their beliefs. They should be the ones put on a pedestal in American society, right? Um, and that people who threaten that uh, should be punished. It makes them extraordinarily angry. There is a desire for vengeance, and Trump understands vengeance. He talks about, uh, he, he has said, I am your vengeance, literally, right? Um, and this is this is about essentially uh, white, white evangelicals, but to a lesser extent, anyone who's right wing and conservatives, and particularly white conservatives, but conservatives in general, feeling like they've lost their special place in American society and wanting vengeance on those they see as having destroyed America or destroyed their place uh, within the United States. And that's what's so scary is that this is, there is no, there's very little economic purpose. There's no thought. This is just sheer white, hot, blinding rage and hatred at people who would use birth control, get an abortion, be transgender, be gay, uh, adopt, be gay and adopt kids, right? Um, suggest that maybe, you know, 200 years of slavery kind of impact, impacted black people even till today, that maybe the fact that even after slavery, uh, the failure of reconstruction and Jim Crow limited black people's opportunities and that that generational, lack of generational wealth is still impacting the black community today. Oh my God, that's like even suggesting these sorts of things, right? Make conservatives so angry that they're willing to burn the country to the ground to make sure that no one ever speaks this again. And because they need their version of history, they need their lost cause. They need their belief that white people are wealthier than black people and Hispanics because they're smarter and harder working, right? They need, and that their religion and that, that LGBT people have adverse health effects because they're dirty, filthy sinners. And we, the good church going folks, um, live longer and because, because we're better, because God loves us more. Um, and that God will only love the United States if we get rid of those people, if we don't tolerate that sort of thing here. Um, never mind the fact that, you know, like Sweden and Norway live into their mid 80s and they, they're not particularly religious and being gay. Yeah, sure. Do that. What? Not a problem. Yeah. Right. Well, it's interesting you bring up the the white hot ridge because I was going to ask this in a, in a different way. They don't think this shit through. Like I, I was going to say, why abortion? Why is abortion so important? Because often, I mean. I think they they're so simplistic in their understanding even of what it is and why it's used medically that they just think because of or a lot of them because of the propaganda, like an abortion is like killing a baby. And it's not like most of the time or, or much of the time, abortion is a medical procedure used to help, you know, for the health of the woman who's pregnant. And well, that's why it's used. So why why abortion is it is it great replacement? Is it they just hate women? Is it they want put women under control? Why that specifically? So it's control of women for one. Uh, it's a belief that a man should make d decisions. Um, they have been taught that this is murder, and they've also been misinformed. Uh, the level of dumb stuff that they believe that, that and you you see Republicans constantly repeat this lie that. Roe allowed healthy full-term babies to be killed after delivery, right? right? Which is 
just it's not a thing. It's murder. It's not a thing. Yeah. Right. You know, and just I think remembering the exact number, I think it was 20. Roe set the the number at 22 weeks. And after that, it was only if, if a woman was having an abortion after 22 weeks, it was because the the fetus was either completely non-viable uh, if there was any chance, if the fetus was potentially viable, they were probably going to do a C-section and try and save the, the fetus. Uh, basically, we're talking uh, the fetus is dead and they need to deliver it or some anomaly has been discovered that is completely incompatible with life. And that's why we're conducting a post 22 week abortion. Right. So, yeah, the whole thing is the whole thing is wrong. Yeah. But it comes from a, a place of not just ignorance, but ignorance that has been encouraged strongly yeah. with propaganda, right? So that so that people, when they're like, those people kill babies, we're the good ones. The, anything we do is justified. If we have mass executions of the liberals, well, that's just fine because they kill babies and we don't, right? You can, you know, you can work your way to all kinds of interesting positions if you frame it as they murder babies, so anything I do is better. Yeah. Dennis Miller, back before he became crazy, had a joke about that where he was like, you know, they murdered the the doctor or they aborted him in the 150th trimester, you know, to go by the <laughs> thing. So uh, it, it may, none of it makes any sense. It's just, it, it just speaks to how dumb it all is and how, how short-sighted um, and until it hits their own lives, I don't think they think about it that much. So, no, no, they don't think these things through. And, you know, you can talk about, well, we need a higher birth rate to maintain a stable population so that we don't end up with a population bulge in the senior citizen and senior citizens. You can talk. But the cost cost of living increases and the cost of having children means that for people, it's increasingly economically infeasible to have kids and if you force people to have kids you just end up with more poverty you end up with more, more crime you end up with uh you end up with more neglected and abused kids um ending abortion ending access to birth control uh doesn't really particularly solve any problems if you want a higher birth rate make it easier and more affordable to have kids right in terms of free daycare better schooling more time off after you have the kids uh, workers, you know, uh, guaranteed paid leave for a year, right? Uh, and then afterwards, you've got daycare that's covered. These are the kinds of things that are going to have are, are far more humane. Yeah, and and realistic impact on things. I mean, yeah, it's perfectly reasonable, but I think their brains can't process it because it involves one more step that they have to go through in, the, in their heads and their so many of them are incapable of the critical thinking required to get to that place to understand, hey, free daycare would make it easier for people to have. Or maybe, you know, raise the, raise the minimum wage to a living wage so that people can afford to have kids. It's That that would work, too. I mean, it's the same thing like um, allowing gay couples to adopt children is, duh, of course we should do that. There's no there's no reason why not to do that. It it. You know, it, it duh. And the and the studies keep telling us that kids raised in gay households, uh, with, with gay parents, end up doing better than the ones, uh, average ones raised by by heterosexual parents. That's not. I I'm not even surprised by that because it's 
the desire to have the kids there is so great that it would outweigh. Yeah, it, it totally makes sense. Um, okay, this is a good time to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Bryn Tannehill. Okay, we're back with Bryn Tannehill. So we were talking about being aware, their unawareness of things. I think that a lot of people, and particularly a lot of people in that community, until they encounter something in their own lives, they just don't understand it at all. And it's easy to sort of manipulate them. So, you know, now you're also, in addition to, to uh, an expert on fascism, you're an advocate on trans issues. You've been there for a long time. You continue to do it which is great. And you have a, a book called My Child Told Me They're Trans. What do I do? And I bring this up now at this point in the discussion because people were home for the holidays. And this is this is the time of year when, you know, grandma and grandpa start to encounter things that maybe they have not encountered before. So uh, tell us a little bit about that book. What prompted you to write it? And um, also, what do I do? So... <laughs> Well, I think yours is a little bit past the uh, initial coming out phase. <laughs> so this book came because both me and my my wife are on parents forums for trans youth. And we kept seeing the same questions over and over and over again. Every time a new parent shows up the board, it's there is like a you could like take a top 20 list and capture like 95 percent of the questions. Right. And there's a wealth of knowledge from parents who've been there and done that. Uh, who have been advocates or for the community, but mostly they've been advocates for their kids. And at the same time, I've seen a lot of bad advice being put there by anti-trans activists who say, well, you should put them in conversion therapy. You should take away their phones and take them away from their friends and take away their internet and lock them in a room and feed them under the door and get rid of those unwholesome influences and, you know, and feed them propaganda written by anti-trans authors to make them question their identities and never use their preferred name, never use their preferred pronouns, and uh, basically do-it-yourself conversion, uh, home conversion therapy, right? And there's so much of that, and none of this is coming from a good place because you've actually talked to the kids who've had parents who have done this sort of thing. They never want to talk to their parents again. It's kind of a it's basically a recipe for I never want to see my kids again, but at least there's at least they're not openly trans when they leave the house at 18. Now, 20 minutes after that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, or I've also seen ones where you've got kids that are like, I'm just milking them for fifty thousand dollars a year for my tuition and I'm transitioning. Right. I just I will keep the charade up as long as I'm being bribed with 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 my tuition and, and housing money. And then when I don't need them anymore, I will never speak to them again. And I wanted to convey how parents who have trans kids who have wonderful relationships with their trans kids, many of these kids are now adults, including mine. Um, and I was the editor. My wife wrote significant sections on it. We also brought in a bunch of other parents who are f relatively famous. Debbie Jackson, Wayne Maines, whose daughter, Nicole Maines, is a, is a TV star. And she's a great kid, great kid. Friends who are military, uh, who, ha who had a kid come out uh, as trans. Uh, so, you know, it's not just moms writing about it. We've got, you know, you know, uh, Master Sergeant Glickler writing about, you know, uh, you know, protecting his kid. Right. And 
love Nathan. He was great. It was he was very it was he was very military in his thinking about it. So this this wasn't like a bunch of squishy people like uh, Debbie Jackson and, and Wayne Maines were Republicans until all of this happened. But it basically talks through lots and lots of scenarios of from the first, hey, I'm coming out to how do you find therapists to how do you deal with name changes to how do you deal with relatives who uh, might not be uh, at the place they need to be uh, about making hard choices about who you keep in your life. Uh, and about where your priority should be in terms of your kid is your number one priority and protecting them is your number one priority. And if, you know, at some point you have to cut somebody out because they are hurting your kid and will not stop hurting your kid, then you need to do that about and advocating for your kid uh, within the school system, within the medical system. Um, the one thing it doesn't discuss because we wrote the, most of the book before most of these laws are in place is getting the heck out of whatever state you're in. And if somebody reads the book and asks, should I leave whatever state? And if the answer is, are they passing laws to ban healthcare for trans youth? Are they banning from the bathrooms? Are they banning them from having their pronouns used, but having their for names used, the answer is yes. You probably need to go somewhere else if there is any way whatsoever to get away from that because it's this is going to be harmful to your kid, right? And you can't fix the problem, right? These these legislatures, uh, these red state legislatures have been gerrymandered into oblivion. These laws that have pa- been passed will be there until 20, 30 years after I'm dead. Oh, my God. The, the Florida ones are particularly restrictive because they, they're going after the parents, too, of the... Yes. The the, the doctors and the whole, you know, the whole thing. Now, you mentioned the Trevor Project before, um, which is an organization that that my house uh, gives money to. So uh, and I know you're not you're not involved with them in any way, but uh, let's make that clear. But um, talk a little bit about what that is. If you don't. Uh, The the Trevor Project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Trevor Project uh, is a uh, group that is dedicated to preventing suicide in LGBT youth. Uh, and it reaches out fairly directly to LGBT youth. And it's one that's not particularly popular with conservatives because it allows youth who are questioning about their sexual orientation or gender identity to speak confidentially with, with people, uh, particularly uh, those in unaccepting homes. And it's one of the organizations that that are particularly helpful for trans youth. I'd also suggest GLSEN. Uh, PFLAG is parents and friends of lesbians and gays, but increasingly it's parents of trans people who are involved because they're the ones that are being attacked and suffering the most at this mo- at this point. Um, you know, and that's one of the places I'd like to go with this is that things for the trans community, if Trump wins, are going to go in a direction where I don't think that remaining in the United States is going to be viable unless unless there is successful balkanization. Yeah, it's 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 really terrifying. Um, and there's a you know the the Gen Z there's the percentages are much higher and it's it's at least where uh, you know the, the, certainly questioning is is uh, you know popular much more so than. You know, when I was in school, even when it was even coming out as gay was was seen as as something that you didn't do until, you know, you were in college, usually. Um, 
you know, so the kids are today, the kids today are very open in, in my experience here in the, in the community where I live about who they are, which is nice to see. And uh, a lot of them are, can vote by the way. So um, let, let's, let's go with that. Now I want to, I want to end um, with this because I want to talk a little bit about Biden and his chances and the strategies involved for getting him reelected. Um, People listening to this podcast are tired of me talking about how he's been the best president of my lifetime and all the great things he's done. Uh, it doesn't really seem to be clicking or sinking in for a lot of people, but uh, you wrote a great thread uh, on the uh, hell site, formerly known as Twitter, uh, in which you make the case very convincingly that the way for Biden to win is not to loud all the achievements of Biden, but rather to uh, point out, as you have been doing for this entire hour, um, what the alternative actually is, and it amounts to what you call um, Cheerios or death. So talk a little bit about, about that. So Cheerios is a cereal that dates back to the 30s, much like Biden, I suspect. Um, <laughs> it's There's no sugar. It's a plain yellow and black box. Uh, it's the most boring cereal I can think of and it's pretty good for you um tastes okay and but convincing people to buy Cheerios yeah compared with other things is probably fairly hard it doesn't have cartoon characters it's not it doesn't make noises in the bowl it's not colorful it's just Cheerios um so what people need to understand is is Biden is kind of Cheerios. You're trying to sell Cheerios against something else that that's a lot more flashy. The problem is is that the flashier thing is is a bowl of potassium cyanide, right? It smells like almonds, right? <laughs> and it comes in it, it you know and it comes in a big red, white and black box you know and it's it's very loud and it's really popular with some people and you've got all these you got joe rogan endorsing it right um the thing is is that you're going to have a harder time expounding on why cheerios is wonderful uh than explaining that you're going to either get cheerios or going to get the bowl of potassium cyanide there is those that is your binary choice you get one or the other and you're going to eat the entire thing and oh, by the way, the potassium cyanide is going to kill you very, very quickly, but very extraordinarily painfully. That should be your leading argument is, is look, you can have Cheerios or you can have death, right? This is the death of the United States, death, death of a democracy, what have you. Trump is going to kill this country off. And I've expounded already on all the ways that it's going yeah. to happen whether it be economically making wealth inequality worse to complete destruction of civil rights to uh, martial law uh, to destroying government as an effective agency to conduct uh, the public's business. It's the, it's the end. Right. And I don't know that Democrats, if they're focusing on telling everybody why Cheerios is great, rather than you really, really don't want the, you really don't want the box of potassium cyanide. You probably are better off focusing on anything. D don't do this. You you have a choice. You can have these Cheerios. They're really great. But if you don't, you die. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's yeah. and that's the rather than focusing completely on why Cheerios are, are wonderful, 
which is a tough sell. Um, you need to be focusing on what's going to happen if someone else makes the choice for you, because there is a significant number of people who are choosing potassium cyanide <laughs> for yeah. everyone. Right. And also we should add to your analogy that um, of no labels, the third party is actually just generic potassium cyanide. That's all that it is. And I think Robert Kennedy Jr. is like potassium cyanide made flesh with a falcon on his arm. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. It, there's not, we're yeah. not going to suddenly make it so that a third party is going to win in this particular election. You're just, you just, yeah. And that's, you know, if you, do, if you sit this one out, you're letting somebody choose potassium cyanide for you. No label, you know, no labels is generic potassium cyanide. Trump is, is potassium cyanide with swastika sprinkles. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> look, you know, yes, you can tout Biden, but I think that you're going to make a lot more headway explaining to people why if you don't vote for Biden, you're going to get something absolutely horrible, right? Uh, is Talking about how wonderful Cheerios are doesn't move the needle much. The public doesn't care about policy and going into well, look at what the Inflation Reduction Act did and look at the 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 infrastructure bill. Aren't they wonderful? Well, yeah, they're really they're really nice, but those aren't big sweeping change. Those are those are maintaining the country. The, the best things that Biden has done is maintain the United States as a democracy and keep the status quo because we talked about the inertia of the United States. Biden is incapable of achieving sweeping change because of non-proportional representation and gerrymandering and the Supreme Court and the filibuster, the big changes that people want just aren't just aren't going to be there. Right. This is just not it, it just wasn't feasible. Um, and, and mansion and cinema undercutting his ability to get some of the some of the things that he wanted done done. Biden has been basically kept his finger in the dike, holding back the flood of fascism. That's mm -hmm. his that's his biggest achievement, I think. Yeah. Um, and that if we suddenly grab him by the collar and yank him away, it all comes rushing in and we drown. <laughs> in potassium cyanide. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, and you, you say like, again, you're not being hyperbolic when you say, you know, we're going to die. Like the last time Trump was president, a million people died of COVID. Like that actually had that was a thing that happened. And I get that people were some people were going to die anyway, but a significant percentage of those million, one point one, whatever it is, died because of his negligence. So he well, he killed you last time in that number. What will he do this time for the sake? I mean, we're we're looking at the end of abortion, birth control, and no fault divorce, right? That's that's what the GOP is aiming for, and that's going to affect half the half the population in the United States, the women, right? Um, it's you know for the trans community, the the Trump administration represents the end of the line for the trans community in the United States, right? It's the end of them in the military. It's the end of them being able to get passports. It's the end of them holding security clearance. It's the end of them being able to get hormones or health care at all, not just through the federal government, but by weaponizing the, the Food and Drug Administration against the trans community. It's by inter the uh, Project 2025's mandate for leadership says um, 
that transgender people are inherently pornographic and all pornography should be illegal. Look, they're talking openly about eradicating transgenderism. When they when the U.S. becomes a dictatorship, that's it. This you, you don't get to go back. There isn't another election. You don't get to, re- to vote the rascals out in four years. It's and when they're saying eradicate transgenderism, they mean it in the sense of they will make it so unpleasant or difficult for trans people to exist that they will cease to exist as, as a public entity. And the goal is to get us to leave. And you know. It used to be that, oh, don't compare things to the Nazis. You know, well, even Ron DeSantis's press secretary admitted that the goal of DeSantis's policies was to get trans people to leave and don't, you know, don't let the door hit you or the good Lord split you. Right. Um, and that's what the purpose of anti-Semitic laws were from 33 to 39 was the goal was to get people to leave. Right. Yeah. To leave Germany, you know, and the, so far, 20 percent of trans people have left red states. Right. According to some survey data, which is kind of on a par with what we saw from 33 to 35 in terms of um, Jewish populations leaving Germany. So it's, you know, I can't say that I'm doing this from an altruistic point of view, that the stakes for me are higher than they are for just about anyone else. Uh, Me and my family, we don't if Trump wins, we don't anticipate being able to stay. And if worse comes to worse, you know, it's me and my Canadian wife and my Canadian kid showing up at the Canadian embassy and saying, we hereby request asylum and repatriation to Canada. Like if they cut us off from getting to the border of Canada or yank my passport, because it's one of the things that they they're very deliberately discussing is invalidating any and all documents where there's been a gender marker change, you know, and that at that point I can't cross the border anymore. Right. Well, I mean, if, if the United States turns into a fascist dictatorship, Canada is also fucked. I've got news for you. That's that's they're they're teetering on the brink too. Um, Alberta, it's bad. There's bad stuff going on up there. Um, so yeah, this is bad. Can we just move like the good parts of the U.S. to Alberta, and Alberta can like go move? We can repatriate Alberta to Oklahoma and Texas. They everybody would be so much happier that way. There would be an easy way for it to map out for sure. You know, the, the, there's that old meme where it was like, you know, the whole West Coast, the East Coast and Illinois and, and, and Canada, where it just says, you know, United States of Canada. And then the other part is just Jesus land. And that was, you know, uh, <laughs> but I I um, I had Diane Francis on on the show now a couple of years ago who wrote a book about that the United States of Canada. And my Canadian listeners, who uh, who I love, um, did not enjoy that. They didn't want, they want no part of our of our bullshit. They don't. And who can blame them? You know, I don't. I don't think that most U.S. states join Canada. I think the only ones that might theoretically do it just because they're geographically isolated are like Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. If they're completely cut off from the rest of the United States geographically, if there was a balkanization. They would still need a safe route to get to the Atlantic and the Pacific. I could see that, but no, I, that's the other thing is, is that I, I talk somewhat blithely about balkanization, but the U S breaking up would be extraordinarily chaotic um, and set off economic catastrophe. Yeah. It It would would be be catastrophic. Yeah. 
there's I mean this once we once Donald once on November eighth, ninth, or tenth, the the votes are tallied and it's and you know ABC declares the election for Donald Trump. We're out of good options. We are a we are a semi that's overloaded going down a mountainside and the options are you know we can either plow through the schoolhouse or we can go off the side of the cliff that's really there are no, there are no good options right we can't even get the cheerios at that point so yeah yeah there's it's not <laughs> the cheerios are off the table you have chosen the bowl of <laughs> potassium cyanide you know and no matter how you choose to ingest it it's going to turn out badly <laughs> yeah it's not good it's not good well hopefully uh this will not happen and people will be smart enough in great enough numbers to uh you know reelect Biden and keep Trump far far away uh from the White House. So again, your book is called American Fascism. I have read it and it's excellent uh and it is available wherever books are available these days. I don't even know. Um so are you where can we find you? You're still on Twitter X, I'm right? I'm still on Twitter at Bryn Tannehill. Um I'm also on you can find me on Threads, Blue Sky, Post, Mastodon, uh, and Spoutable. Okay. That's a lot of places. And it's it's all just your name, yeah? Yep. Okay. At Bryn Tannehill. That's good when you when you have a name that isn't like Mike Johnson. It's good to, you could you could do that. <laughs> you could do that sort of thing. Um so uh Bryn Tannehill, again, thank you so much for joining me today. Always great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fossett. Serena Zabriskie, Marie Cast, and Martha Acuna provided the introduction in Ukrainian, French, and Spanish, respectively. Voice talent is by Stephanie St. John and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hockey, Kanai Williams, Kimberly Johnson, and everyone else at MSW Media. If you'd like to support this program, get three friends to subscribe. The more downloads I get, the better the show does. You can also subscribe to The 5-8 the live YouTube show I do with my friend Stephanie Koff, a.k.a. LB. Tune in tonight for your Friday night hang. Most importantly, please subscribe to the Prevail Substack with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $6 monthly or $55 yearly subscription funds my work on the column and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Be kind to each other. Try and enjoy yourself. And until next time. We shall prevail. MSW Media. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. 